Thank you, worship team. Would you pray with me, Lord? We, we praise you. You're a great God. You're a great king. You have the name that is above all names. Lord God, as we look at your word, as we see Hebrews and we see Jesus, God, give us encouragement and give us hope. In his name we pray. Amen. Why we believe. Why we believe. We're in Hebrews chapter, uh, chapter 3 this morning, the first few verses, and chapter 12, just the first few verses. And we're talking about Jesus, remembering that this letter to the Hebrews is all about Jesus. And in fact, the, the last song that we just sang is just a great theme song for the book of Hebrews, because Hebrews basically tells us to consider Jesus to consider him and to look to him. And so we've titled this series, Why We Believe, because when we lose our why, we lose our way. And the people that the author of Hebrews is writing to, they were starting to lose their way. And the guy writing this, or the woman writing this, whoever wrote this, we don't know who it was, whoever wrote it knew that the reason they were losing their way was because they were losing their why. So, why we believe isn't a question. Why do we believe? No, it's, it's a statement. Why, why we believe. Jesus is why we believe. And when we lose that, we lose everything. This week, the title of the message is simply this. It's just simply focus. Because in the first few verses of each of these chapters, chapter 3 and chapter 12, the writer gives us a clear indication of who we are to focus on. And I've already dropped the, uh, uh, what do they say? It's a, um, uh, what do they say when they give away the punchline? Uh, spoiler alert. There it is. Spoiler alert. I've already given it away, right? The why is Jesus. It's Jesus. So, a few weeks ago, I told you that I met my neighbor and that he talked to me about this telescope that he had. Well, two weeks ago, I learned stuff. I learned stuff about the sky. Because I was in the kitchen and I was, uh, for, for illustrative purposes, I was in the kitchen doing dishes. I'm not sure that it, what I was doing, but we'll just say I was doing dishes. I was by the sink, and there's a window there, and I saw the guy coming across the lawn. And I thought... Tonight must be the night. He told me that he would pick a good night, and on his way south of town to his observatory, he would stop and get me if I was available. And I thought, this is great. Today, tonight, I, I could actually get away tonight, and I, I'm available tonight. And so I went to the door, and he looked at me. He said, tonight's the night. I said, I, I'm right behind you. And so I, I changed my clothes, and he said, listen, make sure you put, because I had shorts on. He was like, no, 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 you got to put jeans and long sleeves. There's a lot of mosquitoes out there. Well, where are we going? There's a lot of mosquitoes. Well, not too far out of town, there's a lot of mosquitoes, I guess. And so I followed him. I ate dirt the last two miles on the gravel road right behind him. And I got there, and there was this, there was like this picture here is a picture of an observatory. It's very similar to that. It's just smaller, but it's the same deal. Like, the, like a strip in the top opens up, and then the whole dome oscillates, and the, uh, this telescope I have never looked through a telescope to look at the stars in my life. Never. Until a couple weeks ago. See, I could never, I always wanted to buy one. 
I always pictured one in like my telescope room somewhere in the house with a big window and there's the telescope always set up and always pointed toward the sky. I, I just never, I've just never got one. There was always need for something else ahead of buying a telescope. I'm so glad I waited. Now, I, I, can't, I can't buy one now because I'll never be able to afford one like this first one that I looked through. So he taught me something, and I'm going to teach you this morning. I wonder how many of you need to learn. You're going to be like, this guy doesn't know this? The, like the North Star thing. I've always looked for the, I've gone out and I've looked like toward the northern sky and think, like I figure the North Star is like this big shining star in the north sky. I never found it. But he taught me where the North Star was. So put, put the slide up there where you've got the Big Dipper and the bottom of the ladle of the Big Dipper, if you go out of the ladle, it points right out to the North Star. And he showed me how to do that. And I said, there it is. There it is. And I learned another thing about the North Star. So some of you don't know this. Now don't laugh. If you know it, don't laugh at me because your neighbor probably doesn't know it. But if you take a globe and you know how a globe spins... But it's not upright. It's like this because the earth tilts on its axis. We all know that. But the top of that thing, if you were to spin it and put your finger on the top, that's the North Star. I didn't know that. So if you look at the sky, go to the next slide. If you look at the sky and you look at the North Star, and if you were to stand there and watch for hours, all the stars around it would turn, but that North Star wouldn't change. It wouldn't turn. I'm like a kid in a candy store out here with this guy. And, we're, and, and his doorway is about this high to get into the thing. So we're having to bend down and go through and look up. At the, oh, let's look over here. And then we go, you know, go back in. And, and this, this telescope, I think it's tens of thousands of dollars. It's all computerized and GPS and everything. And once it's set right, then he can, this, he's got this handheld thing. He can pull up any star or constellation or galaxy or whatever it is and and all of a sudden, and this takes, it takes a while, right? But this thing is turning. It's not only turning this way, it's turning this way, and it's going to find that thing, and then it stops, and then you peek through the little eye thing. There it is. There it is. I saw, I saw the rings of Saturn, you guys. The rings of Saturn! I saw the four moons of Jupiter. How many of you knew Jupiter had four moons? I didn't know. Oh, know-it-alls. I didn't know. I had no idea. I mean, I don't know what. How many of you knew that some of these planets don't have a solid core or a solid surface? They're all gas. How many of you knew that? Okay, not many of you, right? So I don't remember which one. I don't remember which one. But there's a couple of those planets, I'm saying a couple, at least one of them, it's like it doesn't have a solid surface. It's just, it's just all gas. It's crazy. It's crazy stuff. So as I'm reading, so as I'm learning this, I'm thinking to myself, reading through Hebrews this week, Jesus is like the North Star. Perfect illustration, right? You, you keep your eyes fixed on him. Everything else turns. Everything else changes. But he's a fixed spot. Jesus is like the North Star. So then I'm reading some scholars this week on Hebrews. And I'm reading a section on Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. 
And the scholar says that Polaris, the North Star, is like Jesus, fixed. We've got we to gotta center everything around him. And I thought, well, he's, he's pretty smart. That's a pretty smart guy. How many, right? How many people reading this passage haven't thought about the North Star and fix your eyes on Jesus? Probably every one of them. But did you know, did you know that you can actually tell time by the stars? How many of you knew that? Right? You could tell what time it is. I'm going to teach you. So let's look at this slide. We've got the Big Dipper, and it drops down on the North Star. The clock, though, is counterclockwise, and instead of being 12 hours, it's 24 hours. Now, let me read this to you. To tell time, you look at where the hour hand points to in relation to the reference line. And each 15-degree movement corresponds to the passing of one hour. So in 90 degrees, you've got six hours. Now, you look at the calendar for the date, and if it's March 6th, which you've got a 1 in 365 chance it's going to be, right? If it's March 6th, you're all set. That's the time. The time on your imaginary clock will be the actual time. To calculate times for different months, however, you'll need to do the following calculation. Now, you geeks, you nerds, you're going to love this. Are you ready? You're going to love this. Time equals dipper time, big dipper time according to that clock, minus 2x the number of months since March 6th. And it'll get you within 30 minutes. And that's only when it's dark because you can't see the stars in the daytime. So you're only going to need it for telling the time at night. The time you get will be a rough estimate. And to account for daylight savings time, you add an hour to the calculation during daylight savings time. Now, here's the interesting thing. Why can you tell the time by the stars? Why? God made it that way. Yeah. Hey, but, but he created this universe that's like clockwork, right? It's like clockwork. And as we look at the passages we look at today, see if there isn't a connection here. Because, spoiler alert, there is. Verse 1 of chapter 3. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, not the heavenly stars calling, but the spiritual calling, right? The heavenly calling, the calling of God on his people. You share in this. Fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and our high priest. He says, fix your thoughts on Jesus, Remember, these were the very people, we, we learned about this, these are the very people that have been retreating away from Jesus, back to the law of Moses, back to the familiar, back to the comfortable, because things are getting tough, so they're retreating away from this new fangled way of ignoring the law through Jesus. They're going back to the law that is black and white and this I can do and this I can control and I can control my own righteousness and my own estimation of myself. He's saying, no, don't do that. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. We acknowledge him as our apostle and as our high priest. Now, everybody needs two things from God. They need a word from God and they need a way to God, right? Everybody needs to hear from God. They need a word from God. They need God to speak to them. And they need a way to God because there's something that gets in the way, inconveniently, of us and God. 
And that would be our unrighteousness, our sin, right? It gets in the way between us and God. And the writer of Hebrews calls Jesus the apostle, the sent one from God. He's actually the word from God. In fact, it's so neat that John calls him the word. He calls him the word. He's our word, literally our word from God. Jesus is our word from God. And he's our way to God, right? He says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one's getting to God, the Father, except through me. So he's our word from God, and he's our way to God. Fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and our high priest. And we talked last week about as high priest, he comes to God, he's the priest offering the sacrifice, and oh, look, oh, look. My goodness, he's the sacrifice too. High priest and sacrifice offering his blood on the altar all at the same time. He was faithful, verse 2, to the one who appointed him just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Now, the writer is about to compare Moses and Jesus because remember, the people are retreating. They're retreating back to Moses They're retreating back to the law. They're retreating back to what is comfortable and what is familiar and what they can control or think they can control. And the writer's about to say, listen, between the law of Moses and the way of Jesus, there is no comparison, no comparison. But he doesn't say Moses is worthless. He says Moses is faithful. He's giving Moses credit. And he's saying that he was faithful to the one who appointed him, Jesus, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Verse 3 says, Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses. (gasps) Greater honor than Moses. There's no such thing. There's the law of Moses. You don't hear about the law of Jesus the law of Abraham, the law of David, the law of Solomon, the law of Hananiah. It's the law of Moses. But the writer is saying, now wait a minute. There's one greater than Moses. I think Jesus might have used that phrase once, at least recorded, probably more than that. Greater than Moses? Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses. How? Well, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone. Now, there's the profundity of the month, right? Every house is built by someone. Hmm. Think about that for a while. Have any of you ever seen a house that wasn't built by somebody? I mean, unless it's maybe like an animal's lair or something, like animals have homes too. But there's In fact, this is so interesting. When you think about, this is a little off the subject, but not really. When you think about 1 Corinthians 12, where it says that the Holy Spirit gives us gifts and we're all different parts of the body, you think about it. You could look around this room. In vain will you see something in this room that wasn't created by somebody for a purpose. Designed, imagine designed, manufactured, marketed, sold, and employed in use by somebody for a purpose. Just look around. 
Look around the room. Is there anything that wasn't made for a purpose? And yet we're willing to say, we're willing to look at all creation and say, oh, we just kind of evolved. Just random. Just random chance. Ooh. <laughs> There's no way. You, you, can, you can drive around Iowa right now and you see all these fields. And the crazy thing is there's rows. What do the rows tell you? There's a farmer somewhere. Where is he? I know he's here. And he probably has some machinery that was created and designed and manufactured for a reason and a purpose. God created us. He designed us for a reason, for a purpose, to be in relationship with us, to love us. Every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. That's how Jesus is a little greater than Moses. Moses was faithful in God's house, but God, he's the builder of the house. And Jesus is God. He's the builder of everything. We've had the Olympic, uh, not the Olympic, we've had the, the World Cup, right? Women's World Cup. And all this past week, we've been seeing in the news and celebrated everywhere this U.S. women's team that won the World Cup is a big deal. It would be like the four of them sitting around at like a Wendy's or a Hardee's having a triple butter thick burger just because they can now because they won the World Cup and they're just talking about who's the best on the team. And the top four are talking and one is like really good at defense and the other one's really good at taking the ball away from the opponent. Another one's really good at getting the ball down the field through the, I don't know anything about soccer by the way, through the opponents and another one's really good at, at defending the, the goal. And then, then Jesus would be sitting there, like with his purple outfit on, and they'd say, what about you, Jesus? What are you good at? You're, we're, we're the greatest. I'm the greatest because of this, and I'm the greatest because of that. What about you? And he might say, I'm the greatest because I made all of you. <laughs> I, I, I created all of you. I imagined your giftedness and your skill set. You know God imagined your giftedness and your skill set? God imagined who you would be, and then he made you. First he imagined you, then he created you. Because the builder of everything is God. He's the builder of everything. And that's how much better, if you're looking for a plan, Jesus is a much better plan than Moses. Because, verse 5, Moses was, fa was faithful as a servant in all God's house. That's a quote from Numbers chapter 12. Bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. You read the law of Moses, there's a lot of prophetic words in the law of Moses. Both you know, stating truth, but also uh, what is to come. Just basically saying this is what God's doing, and here is how God is going to make it happen. But, verse 6, Christ is faithful as the Son. Moses is a servant, but Christ is the Son over God's house. And what's God's house? See, we've been talking about, you know, the universe and creation and houses and things being built and designed, but really in this context, the house is us. Moses, the for Moses, the house of God was the people of God. He cared for the people of God. He was faithful over the people that God gave him to lead and to love and to teach. But Jesus 
is the son over God's house, and we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. And these believers that the writer is writing to, man, they're pulling back. They don't know about this Jesus thing. They were so close, they tasted of the grace of God. They, they, could, they could smell the goodness of God. They could touch and be around the people of God. But they're pulling back and he's saying, no, no, no. If indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory, that we boast in the hope of God, not our own selves. We boast in Jesus, not Moses or the law. So the lesson here is don't retreat to the comfort and familiarity of Moses, readers. That's what they were trying to do. But if the, if the author were writing to us today, to each of us as individuals and maybe as families, what would he write? What would she write? Don't fill in the blank here. Don't retreat. When the, when the going gets tough and when life is hard, don't retreat to the comfort and familiarity of, of what? What would it be for you? A relationship that you that you're feel safe in and secure in? Maybe your, your job, your job title, your, your position status with the company? That's, that's what gives you confidence and security and you feel good about. Is it maybe like going to church or, or holding the Bible that maybe your grandmother had and, and it's like your lucky talisman that you keep on your mantle? never read it, but, but you keep it because it, it reminds you something about God and somehow you feel like you're safe with it. Some people do that with their Bibles. Maybe it's your investments, your bank account, your 401k. Maybe it's your land and your property or your business. What is it that you retreat back to and you say, this is going to save me? This faith thing is getting too squirrely. It's getting too hard. Things aren't going in my life the way I wanted them to go. So I'm going to place my trust in this. I'm going, to, I'm going to back up to this. Maybe for some people it could even be a Bible version or a certain kind of music. I'm going to, I'm going to find a church that, 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 that plays my kind of music and reads my kind of Bibles and preaches my kinds of sermons. A lot of people do that because they get nervous out there when they've got to live by love and grace. It's messy. It's yucky. The law of Moses is a lot easier. Do this. Don't do that. Do this. Don't do that. Actually, it's mostly don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Do this and this. And then don't do this. Don't do this. Don't. And that's because then we can just, it'd be like driving on the road with no lines. There's no sides. And there's no speed limit. Just drive. No. No, that's crazy. We need lines and we need speed limits and we need traffic regulations. In most countries, right? In some countries we don't. But you know what? Our faith in Jesus isn't like that. Jesus took a statement from Deuteronomy and then he plucked a statement from Leviticus 19. And he said, the most important thing is that you love the Lord your God 
with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, and all your strength. And there's a second one that you really haven't heard of because it's tucked away in Leviticus 19. But I'm going to pull it out, clean it off, and place it right next to the Shema of Deuteronomy 6, Hebrew thing that they would always recite. And I'm going to say that the second one is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And it gets so bad that in Romans, Paul says all the commands are summed up in this one command. And he cites the second and doesn't even go to the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. Because if somebody's loving their neighbor, it means they're loving God. Because we cannot love our neighbor without receiving love from God. What do you retreat back to when the going gets tough? Because Jesus changed the rules. He did. He did change the rules. He said, the law, don't worry about it. I fulfilled it. You put yourself in me. You put your faith in me. Put your trust in me. I'm the only one. And then love. Love in my name. And love others like you love God. You jump to Hebrews chapter 12. In the first few verses, it says this, Therefore, and by the way, you know chapter 11, by faith, Abraham, by faith, Noah, by faith, um, you know, on and on. All of the people listed in Hebrews chapter 12. And after listing them all, many of them becoming martyrs toward the end of the chapter, he says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us, let's throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. You know, sins entangle. There's this, there was this bird um, at my son's house. My wife and I were watching it. There's this bird making this nest. And it had this long, I remember it as being a, like a caution, caution, yellow caution tape type thing they would put up around a crime scene or an accident scene. It was about, about this long. And it had put it up into its nest and it was hanging out as I recall, it was hanging out either side. My wife always corrects me on details of things, and she's right and I'm wrong. But for, for illustrative purposes, this, this piece of something was hanging out both sides. But my concern was that this, this bird get entangled. And I remember seeing the bird um, hopping down and picking up pieces to put back in the nest. And I don't know if it got its foot or its wing just tangled up just a little bit, went down, back down onto the ground and then picked that thing back up and put it back in the nest. Who in the world knows how birds build nests? Have you ever looked like closely at a nest? It's ridiculous. They're, they're putting it together and you got all this big mess, especially if it's over your door, right? You got this big mess that you step over every time you come in the front door. And of course, my family members don't let me like get rid of the nest. It's got to know it's got to stay there. And so there's a mess in the corner of your, by your front door for a while. But then all of a sudden they're finished. And when you look up in it, it's like, it's like it's paved. I, mean, I don't know, do they spit it in? or do they, I don't know what they do, but it's, it's, all, it's finished. It's like, it's like a mason came along and just laid the, the, the sidewalk. So the entanglement, everything, the entanglements are gone. They're gone and everything's nice and everything's neat. But sin tangles us up. And he says, he says, let's... Um, Let's throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Because God, you know, God, God not only created us, 
He not only created us with a purpose and he designed us in a certain way, but also he wrote, he wrote to us and he said, listen, I've, I've, I want to tell you how to live because I created you and I know what's best for you. And some, some holier-than-thou people want to make it all about God's righteousness and God's holiness. They want to make it all about God's righteousness and God's holiness. But God doesn't even do that because he's gracious and he's kind and he's loving. And even though it's all about his righteousness and holiness, he says, no, 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 I'm going to give you my word so that you'll obey it, so that your life will go well, so that you'll live long, so that you'll prosper so that you'll be happy, so that other people will like you, and so that you can help other people. It's not about do as I say. It's about here's how to live your life because I love you and I want what's best for you, as any good parent would say. And by the way, he happens to be Almighty God creator, all holy, all righteous. That takes nothing away from that. But don't take his graciousness, his kindness, and his love away either because that's part of it. And that's why he asks us to cast off those sins because we get tangled up in them. If some of you remember that uh, illustration I used, oh, months ago, it was a video of that lady who was running on the track and in the last lap, the beginning of the last lap, she fell flat on her face. Somehow her feet got tangled up in her own feet or her neighbor's feet and she went down. And she got all bruised up. She got up and she ran for her life and she finished and won the race. When we get tangled up and we go down, we get hurt. And we may not win the race. That's why that's a video illustration because it's so unusual. And he goes on to say here, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Now, earlier he wrote, fixing your thoughts on Jesus. Now he says to fix our eyes on Jesus. Can you imagine if we could get our brain and our thoughts aligned with who Jesus is and our eyes fastened on him, how much better our lives would be? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Earlier he said, it says he was the apostle and high priest to give us a word and show us the way. Now it says he's the pioneer. He's the beginner. He's the starter. He pioneered this thing. And he's the completer. He's the perfecter of our faith. So lately I've been going down to the end of my street and I've been getting on the track at the high school football field. And I took this picture because my sister was trying to text me and I just wanted to send her a quick picture so she would know where I was, so she would know that I wasn't going to be sending her texts back and forth at that moment. And while I'm down there, it's like, what's my why? Why am I doing that? I said earlier, if we lose our why, we lose our way. If you're if you're wanting to be healthy, what's your why? Is it just so you could be healthy? Or is it, is it different than that? Then the next slide, this really isn't my why either. But right now it's my way. It's a half marathon training guide. Oh, brother. 
It's the minimum acceptable requirements so you can crawl across the finish line after 13.1 miles, okay? This isn't going to put you on any kind of a record uh, where you're going to show up on any of the records or get any kind of a medal. It'll just let you crawl across the finish line. But the next slide, the passage says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So any kind of a workout, anything that's hard, has to have a payoff, right? But you have to have the why in front of you. What was the why for Jesus? For the joy set before him. What was that joy? I mean, really, what, like, what was it? If I give you a piece of paper and had to write it down, what was Jesus' joy? Why did he endure the cross? What was the joy going to be? Was it the resurrection? Was it what the rest of the verse says? It says um, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Was it that? I wonder if his why might be similar to my why and similar to your why. I wonder if it has something to do with relationships. Like for me, being 75 pounds lighter means that that weight doesn't get in the way between me and other people, between me and my family, between me and my grandsons, between me and what I want to do interacting with other people because our lives are about other people, right? So when I go down and get on that track, yeah, it makes me feel good and I feel better and, you know, makes you physiologically, you know, you feel better and all that. But ultimately, if I wanted to feel better, 16 ounce of Lay's sour cream and cheese potato chips, they'll make me feel real good if it was just about that. If it was just about feeling better, you know, the, the, the quesadilla is a taco at, uh, what's that called? Taco Bell. They make me feel good, but it's not about that. It's about feeling, but it's about other people. It's about relationships. It's about family. It's about friendships. It's about serving others. It's about living the life that God gave you. So for Jesus, the joy set before him, I wonder if it isn't about relationships. I wonder if it isn't about like back in Genesis when they said, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit said, let us make people. Let us make man in our image. And he made all these things, and he said, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. Then he made man. It was very good. Then it says the man was alone. And that's not good. The first not good thing in the Bible. So you've got the divine nature, God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in relationship and in fellowship. Then you've got the human nature, you've got a guy. And he was alone. It wasn't good. What was the joy set before him? You think it has something to do with John 17 when Jesus prayed that those ones that you gave to me, Father, would be with me where I'm going to be and would be with me forever, they and me and I and them and you and me and I and you, that unity, that relationship, that oneness, that was the joy set before Jesus it was having a relationship with us. It was providing a way that we would have to God. It wouldn't be that we are lost out on this floating island apart from God with no hope in sight. For the joy set before him, he did what? He did two things. He endured the cross and he scorned its shame. The shame of being a guy on a cross. Basically, a bum. A derelict a criminal, a common 
thug. That's the kind of person that hangs on a cross. That's the kind of a, of a criminal that gets a spear shoved in his side. He endured the cross, and he scorned the shame. He didn't care. He didn't care how it looked. He didn't care what people thought. He didn't care because there was a joy set before him, and that was to have a relationship with us. And if you were the last person in the room, he would have done it for you. If I was the last person, he would have done it for me. He would have. The joy set before him was us, was people. Consider him, verse 3, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners. Why? So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Consider him. Do you ever grow weary? Are you growing weary? Are you losing heart? Are you discouraged? Are things not going your way or particularly in the realm of your spiritual life? Your relationship with God, you're just, you're down on yourself, you're down on yourself, you're down on yourself. Jesus isn't down on you. Jesus is up on you. He's up on you. He's taken your sin. He's died on the cross for your sin, for the joy that was set before him, which is your salvation, which is your relationship with him. Consider Jesus who endured this opposition from sinners when you are growing weary and losing heart because then you have a fighting chance. Consider Jesus. And the readers, they were growing weary. They were losing heart. And he knew that when they lost their why, they would lose their way. And he knew that since they were losing their way, they'd long since lost their why. And he's trying to tell them, the only other way you know is Moses. He's the only way you know, and he's not the way. He's not the way. The only other way you know is the safety of somehow trying to behave and perform. That ain't the way. It's not going to work. The only way is Jesus. So if you're losing heart and if you're losing your way, consider Jesus. Just a thought. Fix your thoughts and your eyes on Jesus. He clears the way. He wipes away your sin. And he gives you a clean path to God. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you. We thank you for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the cross. We feel bad about it. We're sorry for the cross, Lord. But we rejoice in the cross of Christ through which our sins were punished. They were taken from us and put on him. If you've never asked Jesus to be your Savior, you could say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner, and I thank you for dying for my sins. I thank you for defeating death and for raising the resurrection that you're alive in heaven today, and I place my faith and my trust in you. I believe in you, and I ask you to save me. I believe in you today, and I ask you to make me like you, a son, a child of God, a son or a daughter of God. Salvation is not about a prayer. It's about faith. Do you believe in Jesus today?
Have you placed your faith and trust in him as the only way to heaven? The writer of Hebrews was reminding throughout this entire letter the readers that Jesus is the only way. So consider Jesus. He made you and he loves you. And we thank you for that truth, dear Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.